1: Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge, and let's talk about some true crime. Well, hey there, hey there, ho there, how do you do? Oh, no, my, <laughs> I was going for a little, a little Princess Diaries moment. Oh, is that what that is? Yes. Okay. Well, that's better. Then I thought you were just being an idiot. Oh, well, understandable. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, guys, this one is horrific. hmm Again, they Fine. are all horrific in their own way. Yeah. This one is a child murder story. Mm-hmm. So we know there will be plenty of you who are going to dip out, and we understand it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We should start with the trigger warnings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we've got child murder, obviously we already said that. Mm-hmm. Depression and mental health and heavy medication use. Yes. And um we would like to thank Madison and her mom. Yes, for requesting this story and Madison wrote it up and uh it's a it's a hometown story for them. So it takes yeah. place in the good old North Carolina. Yep. You're absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. All right. Let's do a, let's do a, you know, an overview. Yes, that's it. Yes. On January 20th, 2006, Kim Crespi came home to her beautiful house in Matthews, North Carolina after a hair appointment only to be stopped by a police barricade. She was informed that her two five-year-old twin daughters, Tess and Sammy, had been murdered and her husband, David, had confessed and was in police custody. David, a man who had never outwardly shown any signs of violence or aggression, a man who to his friends, coworkers, and family seemed like a hardworking, loving, and happy person. Even more frightening than the reality that David had murdered two of his daughters was the likelihood that David would have murdered his wife and remaining three children had they been home. What could have caused this husband and father to brutally kill his two twin girls? Was it a conscious choice he made, or was it induced by his recent changes in medication prescribed for his depression and anxiety? Ooh, that's heavy. Yeah. I mean, can you freaking imagine leaving your house and being like, just going to get my hair done normal day? Probably on her way back home, she's like, okay, I need to stop at the grocery store this afternoon. I need to get stuff for dinner. You know, just like. It's just, it's, it was supposed to be just an absolutely normal day. Yeah. She's gone for an hour. Mm-hmm. She comes back and two of her children have been murdered. By the man that she trusted and loved to protect them. Yes. I Ugh. just cannot. Well. Yeah, but we have to. So yeah. uh, let's get into who the Crespys are. David Crespi met Kim Van Brake at California State University in Sacramento. Kim recalled that she first saw David standing in the student union during their pledge semester for the Fraternity of Honors Accounting. hmm Okay. I don't know about fraternity stuff. The two grew close and became good friends. And she immediately saw that David was funny, smart. He was very nice. She always wanted to be in his group during assignments. She loved studying with him. David graduated in 1983 with high grades and national honors on the Certified Public Accountant Exam and Certified Internal Auditor Exam. Those are two exams that I would not do well in. Uh, Same. Yeah. (laughs) I don't, that's out of my pay grade out of my league, for sure. Exactly. I'm too pretty to do math. I can't do that. (laughs) And I'm not that pretty, but I just can't do math. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yes, yes. The year after college graduation, David married his college sweetheart who actually was also named Kimberly. I think she went by Kimberly, but still. He began his career in accounting. He first worked as a certified public accountant. Um, It's what we in the biz call a CPA. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then he was a certified internal auditor. I don't know if they call that a CIA, but that would be cool. That would be really cool. Yeah. But I don't think they do. They probably don't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they do. Yeah, I don't know. Because it would be cool if like, if that's what you were, and then you like wear a t-shirt that's like CIA and it's like, just kidding. I do account. I do math. (laughs) You know, but then he left public accounting to go into banking and despite still being young, David earned the position of chief financial officer at the Sacramento bank. It's kind of a big deal a big damn deal. And damn deal. I mean, he is like climbing the ladder so quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. Um, he and Kimberly had two children, Jessica and Dylan. Successful in his job, respected and liked by his coworkers and friends and a loving husband and father, David seemed to be living the perfect life. You always know something horrible is going to happen. When after a sentence like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like... How much pressure is in that and, you know, I mean, I feel like with social media, especially, everybody feels that pressure Mm -hmm. in some ways, you know? We always have to have perfectly manicured feeds and like, oh, everything's so happy all the time. And Yeah, show your best self. Yeah. I never fight with my husband. I'm never annoyed with my kids. Like, yeah, all this stuff. My house is always clean, like— not sustainable. No. And unfortunately, Kimberly was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and she died just about a year later. So young. That is just... Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's so tragic. Yes. Ten years after graduating from college, Kim Van Brake was wondering what her future would hold. And uh, soon, Kim and David reconnected and became a permanent fixture in each other's lives. In 1994, David and Kim married in a big Catholic church. Kim happily adopted Jessica, who was six, and Dylan, who was two, and they started their life together. Two years later, Kim gave birth to Joshua. Then in 2000, she had identical twin girls, Tessera and Samantha. Tessera Kate Crespi, known as Tess, and Samantha Joy Crespi, known as Sammy, were born on October 17th, 2000. The girls loved to dance and play games with neighborhood children. Sammy loved lambs, pink poodles, and the color blue. Tess's favorite color was purple, and she loved playing with her sister and their older siblings. Both girls had American Girl dolls that they loved dressing up and playing with, and they'd often be seen in princess dress-up clothes or wearing plastic tiaras, tiaras. How do you say that? I say tiara. I feel like I might say tiara. Tiara? That's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) It came out as tiara, but then that immediately felt so wrong in my mouth, and (laughs) I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. Sorry. How do you guys say it? (laughs) In the summer of 2001, the family moved to Matthews, North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. David would be working in one of the major banking capitals in the U.S. Didn't really know that was a thing. A I did capital. As the senior vice president at Wachovia. That's a big damn deal. It's a big damn deal, but you can kind of already sense the pressure, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's amazing to get these awesome... Very successful jobs, but with that comes a hell of a lot of pressure. And yeah, I mean, the house they lived in like was like it looked bigger to me than the Ramsey house. Damn, I mean, it was huge. And he talked about like in interviews, like he was wearing like 1200 suits to work,
0: and that he was totally Joe reminds
1: me of Joe. <laughs> oh, okay, it was like, <laughs> yeah. Guy, in the twelve hundred dollars suit. Come on, come on. Yeah, exactly. Like, but that's hard to sustain. I mean, I feel like there's always this. It's just so much pressure to to keep it up. You know, like yeah. And he yeah. like we will. Obvi- I mean, we'll get into it, but and not saying that everybody who has a high paying job or a lot of money, you know, is going to suffer a psychotic break or something. But for him, especially. You know, there was just a lot of a lot of pressure. It's just it's one of those things that like we talked about this with like Eileen Warnos, where like you look back on it and you 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 don't give it an excuse ever, but you see how it happened. You see Mm -hmm. you see the pieces that fell into place, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they moved from California all the way across the U.S. and they were pretty nervous, but they were also really excited about, you know, kind of a new chapter. Mm-hmm. Though the Crespi family seemed to adjust well to life on the East Coast, David was facing some problems. And Kim said that throughout their marriage, David had problems with anxiety. He had difficulty sleeping. His responsibilities at work were stressful and contributed to the anxiety that he was already having. He felt like he needed a specific amount of sleep at night to function well, which I would say most of us do. I don't know what his number was. I don't know if it's solid 17, like... Right. Uh... Take frequent catnaps. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, he he felt like he needed to have a certain amount. And if he didn't get that amount, he didn't function well, but he also would be much more stressed out. It was almost like he's so tired, he can't sleep kind of thing. You know, he would like, yeah, he would and then get he's stressing more about stressing. Yeah, he's stressing about stressing. He would have more anxiety than he couldn't sleep because he couldn't turn his brain off because he's freaking out about all this stuff. You know, it was just like, Kind of an endless cycle. Mm -hmm. And then he would end up spiraling into a deep depression. Kim on the family's website says that they noticed, quote, six key anxiety episodes that occurred during David's adult life. And she said that all the episodes began the same way, sleeplessness and anxiety. So in hopes of treating David's symptoms, the couple went to six different doctors. She said all the doctors prescribed medications, which would ultimately lead to even more depression. The episodes would last between two months and 15 months. That's that's significant. Yeah. And can you imagine? I mean, nobody w- wishes that on for themselves or for their partner. But could you imagine how difficult it must have been for not only David, but uh-huh. for Kim as well? Holding up everything for 15 mm-hmm. months with five kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that, I don't know, to me that says... I mean, I don't know. I'm not a mental health professional. I have dealt with anxiety. I've dealt with depression myself. And I definitely have had times where it's lasted longer, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it was, it was more like for David, he's just simply not functioning. Yeah. I mean, I think for hopefully for some people or most people, it can be manageable. But for David, it just simply was not. It wasn't. And so it does seem like a mental health professional or a doctor would have been like, okay, we need to, maybe we need to do something else because I just don't know that 15 months of not sleeping and not functioning in any real way. Like that can't be like, well, I mean, you're just, you're depressed. It'll pass. Like, right. That doesn't seem... Like that's how you would handle that, but I don't know. Well, and we also have to take into account that we don't know everything that David was telling his doctors. I mean, that's true. And I'm not accusing him of anything, but I just I know because of this case that he did leave some things yes, out. He did, yeah, yeah. Which I think I mean I don't know. It's difficult.
2: Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and five-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.
1: But Kim said this was due to medication treatment and subsequent withdrawal. In addition to seeing different doctors, David also participated in counseling. And Kim said, quote, David was always better when he would come off the medication and function in a normal way. In October of 2003, David began treatment for testicular cancer. Golly, I mean... It's just blow after blow for this family. The treatment lasted through the end of the year. By March of 2004, he began experiencing anxiety and was unable to sleep. And Kim said that this episode was the first one that David had experienced since moving to the area, so they had to form a new grouping of doctors and therapists to treat him. Kim said that David was highly medicated throughout the summer of 2004 with his depression continuing to deepen. In April of 2005, David felt prepared to stop taking his prescribed Paxil. And Paxil is an SSRI medication often prescribed to treat depression and anxiety. But he felt like the medication was worsening his anxiety and depression. And again, isn't that something like you would think that they would be like, hey, at the very least, he's not getting better. Right. And he's on it from looks like for a year. At least. I mean, I I would think. Yeah. I don't know. Doctors, medical professionals are supposed to check in with you and just, you know, Hey, how's everything Mm -hmm. going with this? Do we need to, do we need to alter the medication? Do we need to change the levels? Do we, you know, whatever. I'll tell you though, like there was one point, um, I know you will remember this time in my life, but I was having like pretty significant panic attacks Mm -hmm. And I went to, it was just after I had Jesse. So initially my um, OBGYN handled it, which I didn't think that's who would handle it. But they were like, well, you know, you're like in a postpartum state. So like whatever. So they immediately just called me in Zoloft. And I was having like legit panic attacks where like I was having trouble breathing. I thought I was having a heart attack, like couldn't stop. Like it was like a whole thing. And so I started taking the Zoloft and then I called back and I'm like, hey, I'm still having these panic attacks. Like, I don't know what's going on. And they're like, oh, we put you on a little dose. Let's just double it. I'm like, okay. And so I did that and it didn't work. And then I ended up going to my primary care and they prescribed me a medication for panic attacks. And I was like, okay. And then, you know, after a while I got off that, all that. And then I started having them again, probably like a year later for a brief period of time. But I started having them again. So I went to my primary care doctor again. Of course, the person I normally saw wasn't in that day. So they put me with somebody else, whatever. So without anything, she just hears me say, this is what's going on with me. And then she's like, well, this is the med I like to use. And you can tell, like, in my experience, these doctors have the one they give to everybody. Mm -hmm. We'll start there. If it doesn't work, let me know. Like, I felt like no matter what I said my symptoms would be, they would just be like, oh yeah, this is what what you're going to get. Like, Hmm. and it didn't help me. And so I got off of it. I was just like, it's not. And I, you know, I gave it time and everything. And I explained to them that, you know, a lot of these things give me really bad stomach issues and nausea and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they were just like, yeah, well, this is the one we use. Right. I don't know. I just feel like It's not a one-size-fits-all type of. It's not. And there are so many medications and so many different ways that they affect the brain that it just seems like there would be a little more at least taking history, talking with somebody. Like, I get that you have a waiting room full of people, but yeah, this is important. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. It's frustrating to me. So it's worsening his anxiety and depression, but in addition to that, he gained a significant amount of weight in which um, that they also attributed that to the medication. So with the guidance of his psychiatrist and therapist, David started tapering down the doses of his Paxil until he was completely off of it. The holidays were always a stressful time, but December of 2005 was more stressful than normal for the Crespys. So David's job continued to contribute to his anxiety He was also facing multiple health problems, and Kim said his anxiety began to spiral deeper due to his fear of a relapse of his cancer. In early January of 06, David had begun to feel his increasing anxiety coming on. In hopes of avoiding another significant episode of depression, he asked a psychiatrist what he should do. He didn't want to use Paxil because of the weight gain it caused, so the doctor prescribed him Prozac. Prozac, which is also an SSRI, was not typically associated with weight gain, so bingo bongo. On January 19th, 2006, David went to a therapy appointment with Kim. He told his doctor he was still having a lot of issues sleeping, so the doctor sent him home with samples of Lunesta, which is a sedative used to treat insomnia. I've seen their commercials. Yes. During the therapy session, Kim recalled that David was talking about concerns that seemed really extreme— And this wasn't the first time he'd expressed these particular concerns to her. And she said that he was completely set on the belief that he was going to lose his job. They were going to have to file bankruptcy. They were going to lose their house, like all this stuff. And she's like, we're not in financial ruin. You know, even if you did lose your job, we'd be okay for a while. You know, like. Yeah, let's think through this logically and uh, realistically. It's not mm -hmm. anybody. A lot of people have these Maybe unfounded concerns, you know, like these crazy, I don't want to say crazy, but you know what I mean? Like your mind goes places sometimes. I mean, what is it? It's like 99% of the things you're afraid of never happen, you know, or of the things you worry about never happen. Like, right. Also the way that she worded it, she said that they kept telling him, these thoughts are not real. These fears are not real. This is just part of your depression. Yeah, exactly. And it just comes with the territory. It's not real. Stop worrying about it. Right. It almost reminds me of imposter syndrome a little bit. Like, Mm, mm -hmm. you know, when your mind tells you, like, you're not good enough. You can't do this. This is, you know, you suck or whatever the case may be. And it's kind of a form of self-sabotage. Not that he's doing it to himself consciously. But his mind is telling him all of these things and he just cannot get past it. Even though people are telling him, no need to worry. Everything is great. We're mm-hmm. fine. But he can't. He couldn't do it. Yeah. So sad. It is very sad. That night, he took the Lunesta in hopes of getting some sleep. Kim said that he woke up about an hour later with severe nausea. It's possible that he also took an Ambien to try to fall back asleep, but neither David or Kim remember for certain. Hmm. So now we're to the day of the murders. On Friday, January 20th, 2006, the five-year-old Crosby twin girls, Tess and Sammy, both stayed home with their parents and because they had a cold. And David had taken several days off of work because of his depression. And one week prior, he had begun to uh, taking his prescribed Prozac, and he was hopeful that it would help. At 11.30 a.m., David's mother called to check on him. She knew that he was struggling with depression, and she called a lot to see if there was anything that she could do to help. They spoke for about 15 minutes, and David told her that everything was just fine. At about 12.15 p.m., Kim left the house for a hair appointment, and when she left her home that afternoon, the girls were eating mashed potatoes and gravy. The girls asked their father if they could play one of their favorite games, which was hide-and-seek. When the girls hid, David later told investigators that he was hearing voices, and these voices were telling him that there was no future, that everything was ruined, and that he should kill them. He had thoughts about the girls suffering from depression and began to believe that that was why they were home from school. David said it wasn't the first time he'd had these thoughts about hurting his family, but he never believed he'd act on them. But today, he felt like them asking him to play hide and seek was a sign. David picked up two kitchen knives and proceeded to stab Sammy on the kitchen floor. Once his daughter was lifeless, he made his way upstairs and found Tess hiding in in his closet, which was one of her favorite hiding spots. He pulled her out of the closet and proceeded to stab her to death. Mm. This is so tragic. David said that his mind was simply telling him that it was a task that he had to do, that he wasn't seeing them. He wasn't feeling anything. There was no connection to them being his children. After murdering his daughters, he changed out of his bloody clothes and he called 911. And here are some excerpts from the 911 call. So, Terrell, do you want to take one? I was going to say, I think we can, I think I can grab the audio because I oh. feel like hearing his voice. It's going to make the, a world of difference. Yeah. It really, because he sounds completely disconnected from the entire situation, mm-hmm. like completely. And it very much reminds me of Andrea Yates. Oh, sure. Yes. And I also feel like the fact that he immediately called 911, he didn't try to run away. He didn't try to hide it. You know, that's the same thing that she did. Like she believed that she was doing something she needed to do. And mm-hmm. then she called and was like, yeah, I did this. Right. Come get me. Basically. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I don't know.
0: Police department. Yeah. I just killed my two daughters. You just what? I just killed my two daughters. Matthew, that's our, sir. Yeah. Tell me what's, what happened. Okay. How, I mean, what's going on right now? I just freaked out and killed them. Are you on medication? Yeah. Are they
2: breathing or anything now? They're dead. What did you do to them? I stabbed them. You stabbed them? Yeah. What's your name, okay? My name is David Crescu. That's exactly what happened. There's two dead girls. I killed them. Ah, I just lost it. Ah.
0: Okay. Who, who are these girls? They're my daughters. Your daughters? Okay, how old are they? Five. They're twins? Yeah. How, how did you kill them? It's a knife. What kind of meds are you on, sir? I'm on uh, antidepressants. Okay, keep talking to me because you sound like you're a little bit tired and stuff, and we're wondering if you maybe took too much
2: medication. This is real. Okay. I know, I know it's real, sir. We're all, everybody's on the way, okay? All right. How many times do you think he you stabbed, sir? I don't know. Where did you cut him? In their body. Okay, I realize their bodies. Where at? We're at? Yes,
0: I'm sorry. Well, all over their bodies. All okay. over. I mean, uh,
2: Where did you say that that the girls are at inside, sir? One's in the kitchen
0: floor and one's in the master bathroom.
2: One's in the kitchen floor and one's in the bathroom? Uh,
1: David, are you sure there's nothing we can do to try to help the girls? No. 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 So, as you guys just heard, I mean, David's voice, it was calm throughout the entire call, almost emotionless, and police quickly arrived on the scene to find David sitting out in front of his house. He was arrested without issue. Inside the home, they found Sammy lying in the kitchen near the refrigerator covered in blood, and she had been stabbed 18 times in the chest back in the head. Mm. (sighs) Upstairs, they found Tess bloodied like her sister, and she was stabbed 14 times across her body. When asked later why he killed both girls, David said that with parenting twins, they always did things together, and even in death, he couldn't show favoritism. I mean, I just just think he killed whoever was in the house. I don't... You know, like we said earlier, he if if Kim had been there, I think he probably would have killed her too. Right. Absolutely. It's just, that is so sad because I know you and I are not twins, but we did everything together Mm -hmm. and it hits close to home, you know, know, like that's just, that is so sad. Kim returned from her hair appointment, pulling into the neighborhood at 1.20 p.m., and when she pulled in, she found herself stopped at a police barricade. They allowed another vehicle to enter the neighborhood in front of Kim, but they stopped her and asked her to step out of the vehicle. Kim said she immediately had a bad feeling. Police officers told Kim that her two twin daughters had been murdered and that David had confessed. And Kim had only, like we said earlier, had she'd only been away from the house for just over an hour. Oh my gosh. David was brought to the police station where he was questioned in depth about what could have led to the brutal double murders he'd just committed. He told them about the severe depression he'd been suffering from over the years, and he admitted that he'd had thoughts of killing his children, his parents, and wife. He even told them that when the twins were younger, he would carry a large knife in his back pocket because he had thoughts of hurting them. See that? Okay, now, I am not going to say that he did this maliciously or intentionally. I, I don't know. I'm not, like you said earlier, like I'm not, no mental health professional. I'm not a doctor. When he said he never thought he would act on it, wouldn't you think if you remember an instance where you actually were carrying around a large knife? Right. That becomes too far though, right? Yeah. Like. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know how to make sense of this but it's just it's like the TV show Evil Lives Here it's like there but there were signs you uh-huh. know like uh-huh yeah exactly Ugh. yeah if you're saying like oh I I just he kept you know he just kept saying well I didn't think they were real I didn't think they were real and I listened to um Oprah's interview of him on her show and I mean she was giving it she didn't let up on him she did not let up on him and she's just like but they were real, and you know they were real because you did it. Like, mm-hmm. and again, like you said, you're carrying a knife in your pocket. Mm-hmm. That's more than just a, a passing thought. And Kim refers to these thoughts as well. When you know, when you go to your therapy appointment or you see a psychiatrist, you don't inform them of every passing thought you've ever had. And Oprah stops her and is like, "That's not a passing thought. No, that's not a passing thought. And he did kill those little girls." Right. like, And those are things that I feel like, like you said, they're not, and well, like Oprah said, they're they're not a passing thought, obviously, right? But even if, let's call, okay, fine. Let's call it a passing thought. I don't agree with it, but let's call it that. But if that's the kind of passing thought that you're having, that's significant. You need to, that's a red flag. We need to talk about this. Well, and okay, what's a passing thought? A passing thought is, you know, kind of like in your brain, out the brain, quickly, you give it no attention, it, and it oh does not God. come back. Right. I mean, the the amount of passing thoughts that an average person has on a daily basis, Like sometimes I'm like, man, it would be kind of cool to live at the beach. I'm like, never going to do it, but yeah. there it goes, you know. Exactly. Yeah. This is something that came recurring in his brain for 11 years. And went so far as to pick up a weapon- Mm -hmm. And carry it around. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that what, when the opportunity presents itself? Right. I mean, and he said that he, um, you know, well, I never acted on them. And then he was like, well, I came to my senses and didn't do it. I think I convinced myself then that I could make things work financially. Financially is a big thing for him. Mm -hmm. And with family annihilators, who typically are men, financials are a big thing, you know? Like a lot of times when something like this happens, when like, a guy kills his whole family, it's because he's lost his job. Or because he his family took away all of the means that they gave him before, something yes. like that, right? Yeah, it's, it, yeah it's, it seems like it's like, incredibly financially driven. Yes, yes. There's so much financial responsibility attached to it, it seems like. I just feel like that's, de- yeah, definitely a common factor. But that seems to be a very big thing with him too. I have to take care of everybody. I have to provide for everybody. I'm not going to make enough money. If I lose my job, I can't provide for them. Mm -hmm. That, like, provider role. But he also said he'd even thought about stabbing Kim in bed while she slept or hurting his other three children. But he just kept telling them, well, I thought I could control the feelings. I didn't think I'd ever act on them. I didn't think the feelings were real. Mm. For 11 years, you didn't think the feelings (sighs) were real? And there are reasons why a mental health professional asks. Because it is... It can be common enough to, have you ever had thoughts of harming yourself or harming others? And you know they asked. He did not see this many mental health professionals and not a one of them fucking said, have you ever thought about hurting yourself or other people? Right. I mean, I have been asked that at a therapy session before and I'm like, absolutely not. Right. You know. Exactly. Like, they ask everybody. Yeah. So he just said no. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, is it ego? Is it like what? Yeah, and then look where we are now. You know. Yeah, and I know at one point he said, like he told Oprah, like I was afraid if I admitted that I was thinking about hurting my kids that I'd have them taken away. Which okay, I understand that. Okay, but this is the better alternative. A- like exactly. Like I would rather have, and I. But I don't know that they would have just taken his kids away. But they they probably would have changed up his treatment or i mean put him in an inpatient yes facility for however long to really assess the situation yes yes exactly to make everybody safe yes i mean my god like yeah what's the better like would you rather have your kids taken away until your mental health is better or would you rather be put somewhere until your mental health is better or would you rather murder your children right and never see your kids outside of yeah a prison facility right it's just it's yeah it's frustrating I mean I yes. I I feel I feel for this family in so many ways but like there definitely were I don't know I and then you know I guess like the other side of it too is if he's not thinking in his right mind then you know but I don't know I, I think about Bruce Blackman oh absolutely yes that it brings me back to that so much. Yeah, and he, you know, he had just a complete psychotic break, which you could argue that David had as well, but you know, leading up to it, Bruce Blackman was talking Exhibiting about, some very erratic behavior. Yes, very erratic behavior. He was talking about some very strange things. I mean, he he still killed his whole family. Right. I think there are so many facets to a case like this that we cannot even begin to unravel and even understand it all. Mm-hmm. It's just so tragic, but I do, I stand by the fact that I feel like it's like evil lives here where there were so many signs. Well, and also I think about like, I feel like I think about the difference between Bruce Blackman and this case. Bruce Blackman was saying out loud the things that he was thinking. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you're truly having a psychotic break, you don't know enough to be like, I shouldn't say this out loud. Exactly. Because you you are so convicted in what you're thinking, believing, whatever it is. And so Bruce was telling his family all these things. David is choosing to hide them. To sit in front of a psychiatrist. And when they say, are you thinking about hurting yourself or other people? He's choosing to say no. Mm-hmm. He knows to hide it. Right. And that's, you know, kind of typically with the legal definition of insanity. Right. He I knew mean, that was wrong enough to hide it. Kind of a glaring point that makes it even different from Andrea Yates. Yep. Mm-hmm. There were signs there, and they, pres- they decided to yep. keep going. And, mm-hmm. you know. Exactly. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Hey, you guys. Have you ever wondered about the backstory, like why we call our dad Miss KB? We have gotten this question so many times. We thought we'd release a little freebie for you. So we recorded a Patreon exclusive Q&A last year and be warned, we were outside and there was some wind where we answered this question and we want y'all to have the answer even if you're not a patron. Yeah, so be sure to head to killerqueens.link slash misskb, M-I-S-S-K-B and grab the audio. And don't forget, if you want the full Q&A or access to our entire catalog of over 450 patron-only episodes with all our regular episodes ad-free, you can join the Patreon for less than one and a half Starbucks drinks per month. I mean, that's a good deal. It's a steal. It is. It's a steal. You'll get four episodes per week from us, all ad-free, plus anything fun we do like Q&As or literally anything else. So definitely check it out. And not every tier includes every episode. Yeah, we do have different tiers. So just be sure everything's listed out there when you check it out. But in the meantime, be sure to grab your free audio about Miss KB and how he came to be called that at killerqueens.link slash Miss KB. We have some excerpts that are documented on Murderpedia, and they show how David felt before and during the murder. So he said, I was home, I was typing, and then I said, if I do this, then I won't have to take care of everybody anymore. And the detective says, well, if you do what? And he says, I killed Tess and Sammy, and the thoughts kept going. I was tired of not feeling well. And so the detectives asked him, why did you stab them so many times, 32 times in total? And he said, I wanted it to be over. I wanted it to be over for both of them. It's a bad thing to do. It's very bad. The detectives asked if uh, David felt that he could have stopped himself from killing the girls, if he believed that he'd made a conscious choice to murder them. And he said, probably no. Had to happen today because the thoughts weren't stopping. I didn't want to go to the doctor this afternoon. And then when they said, why could you not just kill one? He said, because they're twins, they go together. Regarding the violent thoughts, he said he'd been having for quite some time. David said he never talked to anybody about them, not even his therapist. And they asked David if he felt like he had a good life, if he liked being married and having a family. And he said, I did. I didn't see a way to pay for it. I didn't see a way to take care of everything. But the thing is, he was. He was. And also, there's another option there. Maybe sell that big-ass house and get a smaller one. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, like... It wasn't like they were living on the streets already and they didn't have an option to sell, you know, like he could have downgraded, right, too. And again, I understand that he's suffering from mental illness, but I just feel like that's very telling how much pressure he felt financially because that's what he's thinking about. I mean, he did mention that he, you know, worried that the girls were going to suffer from depression and that their lives would basically be this endless cycle of pain. Because, you know, I mean, that's like Andrea Yates felt like she was doing her kids a favor, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like thought she was saving them from the sin of the world. Like he may have had some feelings that he was saving them from the pain of life. Right. But what he talks about most is that he just didn't know how he's going to pay for everybody. Right. Right. And so the detective says, so what was the best remedy for your not having to be responsible for the upkeep of your family and their needs and their wants? What was your remedy for that? And David said, I guess to do something that would be awful like this. And detectives asked if things would be easier now that he'd killed the twins. And he says, maybe it will in a way. I mean, that feels psychotic break to me. Like, because I don't think that you would say if you're trying to cover your up your tracks i don't think that you would just be like i mean yeah maybe things will be easier now like right i don't know it's like he's the reality of what has happened has not set in at all right yeah he agreed with the detectives that stress and family problems were not a reason to kill his children he also said that he hadn't thought enough about the consequences of his actions he was frightened of what was going to happen to him now but said that his urges to hurt someone were gone now they continued to question him, asking him what he was thinking about just before the murders. And he said, I was going back and forth. Don't do this. Don't do this. And then I was going back. You have to do it. And the detective says, why? Why do you have to do it? And he said, because then I'll be bad and I'm already feeling bad. If you're bad, you do stuff like this. And the detective said, but you're not a bad person. And he said, I guess I am now. Hmm. There were two services for Sammy and Tess, one in California and one in Charlotte. Kim says that she believes it's possible that David might have taken his attack even further and killed her and the other children. And she's thankful that he called 911 when he did. Speaking about her daughters, Kim said, quote, we will never forget their humor, their love of life and their love for all of us and especially their love for each other. From early on, Kim was adamant that this was not her husband, that it was just the medication and, or not just the medication, but it was the medication. She said that there was never any indication that David was going to hurt her or their children. Other than his thoughts for 11 total years, but okay. Right. None that she knew of. Mm -hmm. He had made threats against his own life, however, to which Kim made him promise that he would never do anymore. But obviously that didn't. You know what I mean? Like, if it's something going on in his brain and she's like, don't ever do that again, do not ever do that, it's like, but that doesn't fix it. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Like, that's not... Exactly. She said that David would leave home pretending like he was going to work. And when she was able to finally reach him after hours of not being able to get in touch with him, David would tell her that he was out driving looking for a place to die. When she asked why, he said the world was just too dark. One day he would promised Kim that he wouldn't just drive off again. And when the officers were there with Kim at her house on the day of the murders, they said that David wanted to make sure that Kim knew that he hadn't driven off that day. That's another thing that... You know, I feel like there are things that Lee and and I I do believe his mental illness contributed to this. I definitely do. Mm-hmm. You know, but there are some things where you're just like, I don't know. But then there are some things that are in that point of like, he wanted the detectives or the police officers to be like, tell Kim I, I kept my promise, I didn't drive off. Right. I didn't drive off. Like he is he thinking that he did a good thing here. Yeah, I don't, I just don't know. I just don't know. Because certainly if you were in your right mind, you wouldn't be like, hey, um, do go ahead and tell her I killed her kids, but um, but let her, you know, she'll be happy that I didn't drive off though. Like, right. be, you're not going to say that. Right, right, exactly. I don't know. One time David told Kim that some days the world was just too dark and she'd asked him if it was too dark for his children and he'd responded, it's just very dark. She asked him if he'd ever hurt her or the children, and he said no. I think that that if she asked him in that way, like, "Would you ever hurt the kids, mm-hmm. me or the kids?" That's like a great area because he's thinking, "Absolutely not," because I'm, I know that I can stop myself. The mm-hmm. uh, different phrasing of the question, if he, if she said, "Have you ever thought about it?" Mm-hmm. and he was honest, right? But that's the thing. I feel like. If she said, have you ever thought about it? I feel like he still would have said no. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't even honest with a therapist who that should be the safest space for you to talk because a lot of times that's an unbiased, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it should be. Yeah. No judgment zone. In a later interview, Kim said that after hearing what her husband had said during his police interview following the murders, that she believes that David was very likely going to kill the whole family. Kim told the interviewer, quote, he said his darkness was for all of us. Despite the struggles that the Crespies were facing behind closed doors, they had appeared to outsiders to be the perfect family. According to friends, family, and co-workers of David, they never would have imagined that he'd be capable of committing such a horrific crime. He never outwardly showed any signs of violence and just seemed to be an all-around nice guy. All of this pushed Kim even further towards her insisting that David had suffered from a psychotic break that was induced by his medication. I mean, that is possible. But again, you cannot expect somebody to read your mind. Well, absolutely. And I think that the links that he went to to get the help that he needed seeing six different doctors, right? Going, you know, this isn't working, this isn't working, this isn't working, but then leaving out crucial parts doesn't make sense to me. Right. Yeah. Because that also, like, depression and bipolar disorder are very different. Like, they have different characteristics. And, you know, I know like with David and Kim would say there would be like days on end that he'd stay awake, right? Mm -hmm. That's, from what I understand, pretty common with bipolar disorder. That's the manic part. Yes. Was he telling them that? Like, we don't, I I don't know if if they were giving, because one of the things that Kim is pretty outraged about is that nobody diagnosed him with bipolar disorder until he went to prison. Mm -hmm. But like, Was anybody saying like, hey, he stays up for like four days at a time? Because I feel like if a mental health professional had heard that, they would have been thinking bipolar. Right. I mean, and that goes back to people can't read your mind. Like, if you're not completely honest, then it's going to be hard to give the proper diagnosis. And I wonder if David was trying to minimize stuff because he's just like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm not supposed to not be fine. You know? Right. I mean, I do see a a level of pride in him where he does you know because he's like I can handle this I can manage Mm -hmm. this I can do this walk it off Marty right yeah right I mean and that you know that's another that's another danger of the way that we especially raise males Mm -hmm. like you don't talk about your feelings you don't tell anybody that you're not okay you don't tell anybody you're upset you don't tell anybody you're having a hard time everything's Mm -hmm. fine you can handle it all until you break Right. I just, it just doesn't make much sense to me. You're going through all of these yeah, actions to get help. You're there. You're at the therapist. You're doing, putting in mm-hmm. the work and you're just not being, you're not telling the entire truth. Mm-mm. So no, you can't, how can you get the help that you need and that right. you're seeking? I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so sad. It's just so sad. It is.
2: LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.
1: It was about two and a half months before Kim was able to see David after he was arrested. She traveled from Charlotte to Central Prison in Raleigh, North Carolina. Both Kim and David's brother told David's counsel that they believed the change of medication was what caused David to murder the girls. Also, when everybody's, I know, I'm just, but also when everybody's like, well, he's never shown any signs of violence, carrying a knife in your back pocket to stab your family, that's a sign of violence. Now, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying anybody else knew about that. But again, as you pointed out, that's not a passing thought when you're taking steps. That is very different to think something if, you know, if I'm like, you know, people say all the time, like, oh, I could I could murder him, you know. I'm, he made me so mad, I, I'm going to, you know, I could kill him, you know, whatever. That's very different than carrying an electrical cord in your purse so that you could strangle your husband when he's sleeping. Because, right. Like, you see how those two are not the same? Like, yeah, pretty obvious to me. Yeah, I mean, and again, I'm not saying that anybody else knew about that, because I'm sure he wouldn't, he, I'm sure he did not, when Kim came home, be like, hey, I carried a knife in my pocket all day just in case I was going to kill the girls. Right. Like, Right. Surely to God, she would get GTFO and they'd, you know, get him in an inpatient clinic, but I don't know. Just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. You know, because they just, they continue to say he never showed any signs of violence before that day. And the only change in their life, according to David and Kim, was that medication. Mm -hmm. On Kim's website, she documents the medication that David had taken leading up to the day of the murders. He took a lot of medication. Mm -hmm. He was on 10 days of clarithromycin? an antibiotic for a respiratory infection, 10 days of trazodone, an antidepressant and I think that's also a sedative. I think that's what they gave the dogs for fireworks. Mm. 7 nights of Ambien for sleep, one night of Lunesta also for sleep, and 7 days of Prozac, the newly described, nope, the newly prescribed antidepressant. Like all medications, these can come with side effects, some of which include worsening anxiety and depression. Kim was extremely concerned about David being in prison and the treatment for his mental health. The psychiatrist in jail told his family that he was suffering from bipolar disorder and the Prozac was not an appropriate drug for him to be taking. Just a few days after the murders, David was taken off Prozac and switched to Lexapro. He was also prescribed Risperdal, an antipsychotic medication used to treat people with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. David's hearing was set for July of 2006. The state was planning on a capital murder trial with the intention of the death penalty. Rather than drag his remaining family members through a graphic trial, he pled guilty to two counts of first-degree murder and was sentenced to two life sentences to run back-to-back. Kim stood firmly behind her husband despite his actions. She didn't understand the bipolar diagnosis. The doctors at the jail said that David was simply being medicated incorrectly for his diagnosis prior to his arrival. On her site, she explained what she realized, What we know now that we did not realize then is that David was not suffering from severe mental illness. In light of the tragic events of January 20th, 2006, the details of the various episodes seemed to indicate that each medicated episode was a precursor of an overall mental illness. But after really analyzing the timeline, he was suffering from anxiety and the medication treatment transferred him into depression. The medication's side effects created a new level of symptoms that without realizing it created more harm than good. Oh, I see. So she's saying... His mental illness is not what caused this at all. What I'm hearing is that she did not believe that he was depressed, but because of taking the medication for anxiety, it caused depression. Um, Did I hear that right or no? Yeah, I'm going to hard disagree there. Right. Yeah, I think that's right because now he's on no medication Mm -hmm. at all. So yeah, I think that's what she's saying. I think she's saying... He never had a mental illness. He was being improperly treated for a mental illness, which actually caused the psychotic episode because she, she's firm that it's just the medicine that did this, nothing else. Nothing else contributed to it, just the medicine. Mm-hmm. The talk therapy he so willingly engaged in could have ultimately helped provide tools for coping with anxiety, if not for the damaging medication side effects heightened during the process. This awareness would not come to light until the summer of 2008. Um now hear me out no disrespect i and this is nothing i don't even know how to say it mental illness is it's real it's serious it needs to be addressed if you you know if you feel comfortable with who you're addressing it to i think that it is it's so serious to take care of your your mental health 100% and there's no shame Mm-mm. in any of that there should not be a taboo or stigma on it what Kim and maybe subsequently with David, what they're doing is not taking responsibility because let's say that's true. Let's say it's true. I feel like you have a responsibility as a person, as a father, as a husband, to say, yeah, this isn't going well for me, these medications, which he probably did. Mm-hmm. But you, d- you got to take it a step further and say, when asked, because I know that they do, mm-hmm. because I've been asked. Have you ever had mm-hmm. thoughts or taken action for harming yourself or harming others? And that is where I don't feel like the responsibility is being taken.-hmm because nobody ta- is talking about this. No. Maybe they believe it. they're just not saying it. But yeah, and if it is just the medication, but he was he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. so that's isn't that a complete contradiction to what she's saying here? Yeah. Because she's saying he never had a mental illness. We thought he was suffering from mental illness. And they, they were, quote, medicating this mental illness. But what they were doing was just giving him a medication for something he didn't have, which then caused depression. But he was on and off medication for a long time. When he was off the medication, what made him get back on it? Right. Yeah. And like you said, say it was just the medication. He was getting a medication for something that he didn't need. And it was causing negative side effects. Mm -hmm. If you come in and say, I don't like this because it made me gain weight, that's very different than saying, I don't like this because I'm thinking about killing my kids. Right. And I picked up a knife and carried it in my back pocket. Yes. Yes. But the only thing that he told this doctor is it's making me gain too much weight. Right. I just personally, and this is not, I'm not making a sweeping generalization. This is specifically for this. If you're not being honest, you bear responsibility in that. Mm -hmm. And it's not fair to just be like these doctors who are Mm -hmm. prescribing the wrong medications. That's not fair. Maybe there's some blame to be had there, but you got to take some ownership of that as well. Yeah. They did say that neither of them were ever warned of the possibility of violent side effects and psychosis when David was prescribed the medications. I mean, that's possible. It is possible. It's I, probable. I would say that at least one of the doctors they saw did not, were just like, try this, see how it goes. Sure. And didn't say sure. anything else. Cause I've never, I've never had anybody tell me that. I have. That's good. Yeah. Cause they should. When I was on Zoloft as a, a late teens, early 20s, they said that this medication, you need to watch out for possible suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. And of course, that was like, Great, this will help with my anxiety. Um, but I never experienced any of that, thank god. But I've had it happen. But whenever I'm on a low dose of Lexapro right now, and when I got the medication, it came with a pamphlet, we'll say, of information. And there it's possible, you Mm -hmm. know, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that is one thing, it does come with a thing. I know most people are just like, I'm not going to read that, but that's why that's there. Yeah. To let you know what kind of stuff to look out for. But Kim very much kind of writes the whole thing off. And look, she's a victim and she's lost her children. And I understand that she's got to do what she's got to do to make it through the day. Mm -hmm. But she kind of in that interview with Oprah and Oprah kind of gave it right back to her she's like, you know, we weren't told about intrusive thoughts. We didn't even know what they were. And Oprah's like, okay, well, maybe you don't know the name for them. But he's still having them. And he still needs to tell somebody. Well, and knows enough to be like, I'm not going to tell anybody. Exactly. Like, it's just because you don't know the name of them, like, just because you didn't learn that they're called intrusive thoughts doesn't mean that you don't You know, like that that doesn't completely wipe away your responsibility to tell somebody about it. Because again, a psychiatrist cannot read your mind. They go on what you are telling them. Mm -hmm. Preach, ain't it the truth? So in 2006, the Oprah Winfrey Show, which we've talked a lot about already, um, they approached Kim and David about doing an interview and Oprah visited with Kim in Charlotte and she went to um, visit David in prison And like we said, she did not hold back. She asked David questions that still lingered about what he did. And when asked if he believed that he deserved to be punished for what he did, David said, quote, the fact that I was mentally ill in some ways explains it. He finally does say, yeah, I think I should be punished. But just, again, the way that they just, well, well, he was mentally ill. So, I mean, what could I really do? Right. like. I don't know. It. Th- I just felt like the way he answered that question, too, because he was just like, I mean, you know, when he finally did say, yeah, you know, I should be punished. He said, if I'm going to be reprimanded the way that our criminal justice system is set up right now, then, yeah, I deserve to be punished because that's what we do. We punish people. We don't rehabilitate them. I just still believe that there is a lack of responsibility on some level. Do I think that he should bear it all? I don't know. But it's almost as if he's just still not grasping it. Right. Because it would be nice to just hear him be like, these two girls did not deserve this. Right. I'm not saying that he doesn't have remorse, but the way he talks about it, it's just like, well, that wasn't me. That was somebody else. Well, and look at what we're doing here. This is, this is over the murders of Tess and Sammy. And who are we spending the majority of the time talking about? Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, you know, like this is such an obvious, it's like a glaring reminder of how these cases go sometimes, you know, like mm-hmm. we're missing it. We're missing the actual victims here. Yeah. And, you know, I know that Kim is um, a believer because she talks about how <sighs> she talks about how Tess and Sammy are in heaven and they're in a better place. And if you believe in that, then then you, you know, you you do finally, I think, come to uh, an acceptance of like, OK, well, they're with Jesus, you know, like right. that's everything is perfect there. They are not suffering anymore. All those things. But she kind of goes, she takes it a step further. And I'm pretty sure in that interview with Oprah, she says, well, Tess and Sammy are in a better place. And I know that they're in heaven. Um, and David's the real victim here. <gasps> I really feel like she said that though. I'm appalled. D- if ugh. And if it wasn't, if her, if her quote was not, he's the real victim, it was something in that vein. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, they're, oh, oh, I know what it said. She said, um, she said, they're fine, but we're not. Especially David is not. And I'm just like, Ugh. so she, she didn't say he's the real victim, but she said, they're fine, we're not. He especially is not. I'm sorry. I I do think that that there needs to be like, I'm totally willing to, to see it from all angles, right? Like, okay, sure. Let's say that we really, really need to work on the fact that some people, uh, medical professionals need to vet these medications better, right? Like, because it's not one size fits all. I totally get that. If he is not being truthful about what is happening in his mind and in his everyday life, then he bears some responsibility for that. What did the girls do? Nothing. Right. They asked their dad to play hide and seek. Exactly. So I am sorry. I'm not going to sit here and act like they're not the real victims here. I just no, don't. No. I just don't understand it. Yeah. And, and like I said, do, do I think that there's some, possibly some truth to what Kim is saying? Sure. But mm-hmm. to go that far is, is, it doesn't sit well with me. I I don't like that. No, and I think that I think that being able but I mean she even says like Oprah's like I can't, I just can't believe you've you've been able to forgive him and she's like well I don't think there's anything I need to forgive because he was he he, he didn't willfully kill them. He couldn't yeah, help it. He was truly ill. Yeah, so there's nothing there's nothing to forgive because it wasn't him he didn't do it. It wasn't like he didn't mean to do it. That I mean and that's still very different than um I don't know, God forbid you're like riding bikes with your kid or something and a car hits them, you know? Mm -hmm. Of course they didn't mean to do that. That's not their fault. Right. He stabbed them 32 times between the both of his children. Mm -hmm. And again- This was not a a thought that he just had- It was not a passing thought. Yeah, it was was not the first time he had that thought and he acted on it. He had taken steps before. If this were my family, if it was me that did this, if it was my husband that did this, There would be anger there. Mm -hmm. Why didn't you tell me this could happen? Right. Why didn't you tell me you had been thinking about this? Right. I would hope that I would be... And maybe it'll come. Maybe it just hasn't happened yet. I don't know. Maybe it is happening now and we just don't know about it. But I I would hope that for myself, if, if God forbid I ever did anything like this, if i had enough time to sit with it i'd be like oh my dear god what have i done and and feel the remorse and like i said maybe he has maybe maybe he is yeah um, yeah it could be editing of interviews or they're just leaving some of those parts out look i don't sure. know but he doesn't talk about it like well and even i mean oprah even says in the interview like that doesn't make them any less dead and he's like no no it doesn't I mean, sounds like there were opportunities for him. I, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. I don't. Seems that way. <sighs> so, David admitted that he pre- briefly considered taking his own life after he murdered Tess and Sammy by jumping off a nearby overpass, but he decided not to and instead called 911. And he said that initially, after the murders, he felt numb, that he hadn't really grasped what he had done. And David explained that reasoning was distorted when he was in a depressive state, which he refers to as the, quote, dark place. According to David, he had thoughts of hurting and killing his family for 11 years, like we said. When he first began having these thoughts, he didn't think they were real, so he didn't tell anybody. He was also scared that his children might be taken away from him, like we said. While Kim and his doctors told him that his fears about losing his job and not being able to support his family were not real, he just assumed that his fears about hurting his family were also not real. <sighs> you know what the difference is, though? just real quick. Um, He voiced those fears about the finances. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. If he had voiced the fears about hurting his family, they would have been like, we need to stop right there. Mm -hmm. We need to get you into inpatient therapy. We need to change your Medicaid, something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is more than irrational fears because the fear that you're going to lose your job or your house is going to be taken away is the fear of something happening to you. That's not your consistent thoughts of you doing something to somebody. Those are so very different. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. (sighs) While in the prison, David had been prescribed lithium, which is used to treat bipolar disorder. After some time, it began to negatively affect his organs, so David asked his doctor if he could start to come off the medication. The doctor had already let him stop his other medications, and Kim said that when he came off his antidepressant and antipsychotic, he had violent nightmares and spent days crying. He began to go through withdrawal from the lithium, which is extremely difficult, especially in prison. Eventually, he made it through the withdrawal, and about six months after he stopped the lithium, Kim said her husband started to act like himself again. That is so long. Mm -hmm. She said that he began to understand what he'd done and what he believed had, quote, happened to him. Kim refers to the murders as a, quote, medication-induced response. She also, in the interview with Oprah, responds, or refers to it as an incident multiple times. And Oprah says something to her about that, and she's like, yeah, I call it an incident. I call it a tragedy. I call it a lot of different things. But, like, I don't know. I just cannot help but feel like it's trying to separate him from the responsibility. Yeah. Uh, Now, David is reportedly medication-free and, according to his wife, back to his authentic self and is horrified as much as anyone, actually more so. All right. We're about to get a bad review because I have a question that I don't know the answer to. Um, And I, I, in fact, do not know everything. Can you be cured from like bipolar disorder, or is that something that you're supposed to stay medicated for? I'm not sure about that, Because honestly. she's saying, they're saying that he's on no medication anymore, and now he's just fine. Yeah, unless, I mean, as far as I know, and like and again, like, I don't know everything as well, and I'm not a medical professional, but I do have friends and people that I have been close with that do have bipolar disorder— Um, either one or two, and I know that they are very different, Um, bipolar two, um, the people that I know that have that, they have been on medication ever since they were diagnosed with it, and they have never, they maybe have had stints of not being on it, but they always go, or they have gone back to it. Mm -hmm. Let's see, according to Google, although the symptoms come and go, bipolar disorder usually requires lifetime treatment and does not go away on its own. Okay, there you go. There is no cure for bipolar disorder, but through behavior therapy and the right combination of mood stabilizers and other bipolar medicines, most people with bipolar disorder can live normal, productive lives and control the illness. Absolutely, and I I agree with that 100%. Yeah, but it's not... So, so like, I mean, that's just another thing that (laughs) confuses me about this. Why is he on no medications at all? But Kim, and I'm guessing David as well, but Kim said... She said that she does not believe... The bipolar diagnosis did not, she didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. She does not believe that he has bipolar. Right. She does not believe that he has mental illness. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense why they're completely okay with no medication because they don't believe that there is a a need for any medication. And I mean, how can we, like, I'm definitely for rehabilitation when it is possible. But for somebody who wasn't honest about the symptoms he was having in the first place— I certainly wouldn't trust him going off meds. Right. Because I don't trust him to be like, okay, well, those thoughts are coming back. Right. And, And I don't know if they would or not, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. It's just, it's so hard to, it's so hard to talk about this because I'm like trying to see all sides of it and I have my feelings, but then I'm like, well, get it. You know, like, I don't, I just don't know it's, where exactly where I la- land with it. But. Yeah, yeah, it is a very complicated, like, and, and like David and Kim are very vocal regarding how they disagree with the fact that prison is about punishment rather than helping in rehabilitation. Right. And again, I mean, um, if, you know, if rehabilitation is possible, I, I think that's great, but we have to be honest. I mean, yeah. Kim says, like we said, she's forgiven David. It wasn't her real husband who committed these two brutal murders of their daughters. She said, quote, I actually think he was ill in a way we didn't understand. So I look at it like I really don't even think I need to forgive him because I don't think he controlled what he did that day. She visits her husband every week and speaks to him over the phone as often as he's able to. David has been helping educate other prisoners to obtain their GED. Kim said that she still loves being married to David, but it is a very different marriage now that he's in prison. Though David has many supporters and people who still love him, there are still a lot of people who don't buy the medication argument. They believe that David made a conscious choice to stab his twin daughters to death that January day. Unfortunately, in the chaos of the Crespi family trying to make sure David was treated appropriately while in prison, the victims are rarely talked about. Tess and Sammy were beautiful, bright young girls whose lives were cut short by their own father. Mm. In their obituary, it's noted that the girls were survived by their mother, Kim, as well as their father, David. And we're assuming Kim wrote this. David is still in prison in North Carolina, and Kim continues to bring attention to the dangerous side effects of medications. And it is important to note that medications can be prescribed appropriately and truly help with mental health issues. In fact, it can be life-changing for some when taking appropriately, along with the full understanding of the drug's potential side effects and monitoring by a doctor. Please, 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 yeah, if you're experiencing anything like that, please contact a mental health professional. And And please just be honest because it's always better to get the help you need, you know? Mm -hmm. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with seeking help because your mental health is so important. It is. It is. And we live in a stressful world. Yes. There is absolutely no judgment from either of us about anything that has to do with mental health. No, you guys know we are like so supportive of any way that you can take care of your mental health. If it's medication, if it's therapy, if it's self-care, like whatever it is. Do what you need to do. absolutely. but I do think that like you said, the important most important thing is just to be honest. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's the lesson that can come out of this is just like you know, even if you're afraid of what might happen, what would happen if you don't? right? If you don't share that, that's right. the scarier question. Absolutely. But guys, we I mean, this is such a polarizing case and we would absolutely love to hear what you guys think about it. You know, just any thoughts that you have in general. Yeah, we always drop an Instagram post when we release cases. So um, head to our Instagram. We are right now at KQ True Crime. I say right now, because I mean, you can search Killer Queen's True Crime, but our our username is KQ True Crime. Uh, Find this post and leave a comment on it. Let us know what you think absolutely but that is it for the case thank you so much for listening we love every one of you and we hope to catch you on the next episode bye bye okay you guys you know what time it is it's time for us to screw up your name exactly um so if you're a ten dollar patron or up you get a shout out um and we do these at the end of every episode so get ready for it uh we got a hey girl thanks regina dixon amber starkey James Frazier. Taryn Pendarvis. I just noticed this. It says the name is Bilbo Pagans. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I love that. Um, But it looks like a Paige Sullivan in the email. So Bilbo Pagans, you know who you are. I love it. Jennifer Hasselblad. Brianna Bennett. Jesse Jefferson. Michaela Stockdahl. Casey Roser. Matthew Hall. Jennifer Brown. Courtney Ramsey. Jackie Figgins. Healy Croft. Cindy Arnold J- Jamie Koscherski Kat Bowden Taylor Brasner Simone Salters Emma Crafton Taylor Graven Candace Phobian, Jillian Eish, Lauren Ryder Chelsea Givens Andrew Adams Charlene Gale Ann Aaron Fowler Mike Charlie Brooks Deja Bibbins, Abby Boswell Caitlin Jernigan Steph Mezarek, Emily Brown, Katie Packer, Jonathan Williams, Aaron Harbin, Pamela Martin, Bryson Holzer, Tracy McKnight, Chelsea Carney, and Robin Krenke. Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you. We love you. Love you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye.